Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, 33. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You may be seated. God is good. All the time. It's good to have so many visitors with us. I know there's a Murray State game yesterday and the bull blowout. We went Friday night to that bull blowout, and some of our small ones actually were in the mutton-busting business. That was fun to watch. Um, Mutton-busting. That's where you ride sheep, for those unaware of muttons. Anyway, um, if you see an unfamiliar face, introduce yourself, but be cautious. Uh, I remember one time lady introduced herself to a, an older lady, said, hi, my name is thus and such. It's good to have you with us. She said, honey, I've been going here 20 years. So it's all in the presentation. Be careful. Let's pray together first, please. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for the blessings of health and also the ability to worship you freely. We pray for those who aren't as fortunate as we are. We remember them and pray your blessings upon them. Be also, Father, with our nation, We pray for our governing leaders on all levels that you'll give them heavenly wisdom that they will do what's right and in the best interest of the people. Bless us each and those that are visiting that may be in from out of town. We pray, Father, that you'll bless them and be with them as they return to their homes and see them safely there. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You've probably heard it put, birds of a feather flock together, something like that, about the company that you keep. Daddy had a different way of putting it. He'd say, don't expect to soar with the eagles if you're puking with the buzzards. A little bit more pessimistic. Or he'd say, if you, if you lay down with dogs, you'll get up with fleas. He was a very optimistic person, as you could probably tell. But my parents were very, very cautious about who I associated with as a teenager. And sometimes we'd have folks over, and afterwards I would get an evaluation. He seems like a good boy, or you don't need to have anything else to do with him. My dad didn't mince words, and he wasn't, uh, he wasn't afraid of holding back his opinion because he knew that whoever I was around and with had a lot to determine about my mindset, about what I did. You know, a lot of youths will join gangs just for the sense of belonging, of being accepted. Veterans have a rough time when they discharge from military because they no longer have their band, their buddies. They have to readjust to a life without that camaraderie. We, as the church, we have a camaraderie through Jesus Christ our Lord. But still, outside of the church, who we associate with matters. And Paul is not saying this to a bunch of teenagers. He's saying it to the Corinthian church. And he actually quotes from a poet, a playwright, whose name is Menander. Uh, He's a third century playwright, and this particular play that he quotes from, Evil Company Corrupts Good Habits, 
is largely lost because we don't have but, but a few fragments uh, that survived of this play. The full quote that you'll see in uh, this particular play, Tice, loose bridled, pest, methinks, we don't use methinks anymore, so it's outdated language, uh, thought I have suffering, suffered this, that nonetheless I'd now be glad to have her. Sing to me, goddess, sing of such a one as she, audacious, beautiful, and plausible withal. She does you wrong, she locks her door, keeps asking for gifts, she loveth none, but ever makes pretense. Communion with the bad corrupts good character. So that's the particular quote that he took, and he is reminding the Corinthians of this. And you've got to remember, Corinth was right there south of Athens. And so this would have been a sentiment that they would have been like, oh, okay, yeah. Kind of like uh, you, you've heard the, the saying, oh, it's just a drop in a bucket, right? Well, that's from the book of Isaiah where that saying comes from. And Paul is pretty infamous for quoting the Greek playwrights to his audience. Acts 17, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He's quoting from two different Greek poets, Aratus and Epimenides. And then to the, to the, uh, uh, the Cretans, rather to Titus, he quotes Epimenides again. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So he would take, you know, what people knew, what was familiar, and he would sometimes blend that over. And so he spoke to folks on a level they understood. And so that's why he uses this particular, uh, this particular quotation from Menander. Paul's idea is casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Notice this last part. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Menander says evil company corrupts good morals, and Paul says that's a sentiment that we can agree with. So I'm going to bring that thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and I am going to use it in such a way so that the Corinthians can understand this. Now, it wasn't that they were keeping company bad, bad company that was leading them to sin, but he, in explaining the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has to do with the company you keep, but also who you listen to. Now think about that. Some of them were saying, you know, the, the resurrection hasn't happened. And Paul says, without a resurrection, we have no hope. How can you not believe in this? So evil company corrupts good morals. If you listen to the wrong teachers, your mind's going to be swayed and you're going to go down a path that's not sound doctrine. In our society today, when you think about church, what do you think about? Or better yet, when you think about finding a church... What do you think about? Everybody has their metrics, their preferences. Well, I want it to be like this. I want it to have that I want, and so forth. So we make a list and we'll go and we'll search. And, you know, in, in first century Corinth, that's not how you chose a church. When you obey the gospel, you were made a part of the family of God. And there wasn't no preferences. There was, here's what we do. But it's not that way today. If you don't like what's done here, well, you pick up your ball and you go play somewhere else. But it wasn't that way in the first century. And so a lot of people, when they want a church, instead of a sermon, they want a pop psychology or a TED talk. And we've got to be very careful about this very sentiment because Paul warned Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, 
they'll heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, if you're like me, I will read books by nearly anybody. I've got a couple of books, I've got several books in my library that are written, one, by an atheist, the other, I'm not quite sure what she is. But I enjoy reading the, their works because they have a different perspective. But what's always important to remember is eat the meat and throw away the bone. We understand, we're Southerners, right? Fried chicken, that's the Lord's bird. We like some fried chicken. That's why we ask the Lord to bless it to the nourishment of our bodies because we think those are the Lord's calories. At that point, it's not going to do anything to us. But we'll get that drum, that wing, we'll eat that thing, but we don't eat the bone because it's not digestible. It's not meant for us. So it is with the books we read, the sermons that we hear. We have to be able, as the Hebrew writer says, by reason of use, have our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Hebrews 5.14. So you got to be able to discern. Eat the meat, but throw away the bone. The very first psalm points out the importance of the company you keep. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I want you to notice that progression. Now, when you're walking, you write, sometimes you, I need to talk to you. All right, walk with me, right? You got to get somewhere else. If you got something to say, you got to come with me. But now when you stop and you stand, okay, this has got my interest to a point that I'm, you've got my attention. Then you go to sitting and that's the company that you keep. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk, stand, or sit in any of these. The counsel of the ungodly, the path of the sinners, or the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Most of us learn in middle school, if not earlier, that, you know, What's important to a tree are its roots because the roots feed the tree. But imagine you have a tree that's planted near a stream of water. You have a constant source of nourishment. And so the roots will take that water in, be fully hydrated, and will produce, will be fruitful, and so forth. There are some people that probably you and I would do well to cut out of our lives. And the unfortunate thing is, some of them may actually be related to us. For some of you, I know that's a foreign concept. How can Blood is thicker than water. I beg to differ, and you can disagree with me. The man that I call daddy is my stepfather. We have no blood in common. But that's who raised me. And even despite the fact that he and my mother divorced... When I was in my early 20s, about 20 years ago, he's still my daddy. He's papa to my grandchildren. So I don't always go by the blood is thicker than water maxim because I ask the question, where's my actual father? Persona non grata, we might say. But there was a man as, as what was his face? Brad Paisley, I think he said, I hope I'm half the man that he didn't have to be. And so sometimes, yeah, we need to cut people out of our lives. And so here's my rule. Here's, here, here's a way to measure that. 
The people in your life, do they bring you closer to the Lord or do they take you farther from Him? Everybody that brings you closer to the Lord is definitely a person you want to keep. They're the ones that are going to be there no matter what. But the people that take you farther from the Lord, you can still have them, but maybe they need to be kept at a distance. Maybe they just really need to be cut out altogether. Think of the parts of a tree. You have your leaves, your branches, your trunk, your roots. Some people in our lives are like leaves. They're only there for a season. And then when the season is ended, they just go on off the tree, flying away, and eventually nature does its thing. Some folks in our lives are like branches. They're there, they're sturdy, but sometimes when the storm rages, they might break off. But then you have those roots. that We talk about this tree planted by the rivers of water. The roots sustain you. The roots nurture and nourish you. Those are the ones that are most important. So you may wonder, well, why is this person no longer in my life? I didn't do anything. They just got... Some people just use you. That's a sad truth. When they stop getting out of you, whatever they got, they're done. They're moving on. And it's sad that people are that way, but it is how it is. But you have others that for whatever reason, they just may be like a leaf or they may be like a branch. There's a real popular post that I've been seeing going around on Facebook uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. I want to look at this story. Luke chapter 5. If you're not very familiar with the Scriptures and don't know where that is, just turn to a neighbor. I'm sure someone will be glad to help you. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse... 17. Almost sounds like it's raining, all those pages turning. I like that sound. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they couldn't find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Imagine, imagine this scene. There's a crowded house, and there's Jesus teaching, and he's healing people. And these guys catch word of it and they think, we need, to get, we need to go get our buddy. Well, he's paralyzed. I know. We'll carry him on his bed and we'll take him to Jesus. Because he's over here. He's healing people. And our good friend needs healing. All right. So they get together. They grab the bed and they're carrying him. And, uh, you know, probably along the way, some of them are thinking, okay, I got to take a break. Or it's slipping out of my hands. And so they pick him up and they keep on going. They get him there and it's just too crowded to get in. They set him down. Okay, you go find a way for us to get in there. He goes and he searches and he looks. He goes, it's too crowded. There's, there's just no way to get in. People are standing in the doorway. What are we going to do? All right, we're going to go up on the roof. Some friends might have been like, I'll stay down here and hoist him up, but I'm not a, a heights person. Eh, whatever. They get him up on that roof. They remove the tiling, and then they begin to lower him down before Jesus. Nothing 
was going to stop them from helping their friend. Nothing was going to keep them from making sure that he got the care that he needed, no matter what the cost. Those are the kind of friends that we need to have, the kind that would be willing to carry us, the kind that would be willing to tear down tiles on a roof just so that we can get to Jesus. There's another story in Mark chapter 5, if you'll turn there with me. If you're in Luke, take a left. Mark is right before Luke. Mark 5, verses 1 through 5. Mark 5, verses 1 through 5. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the the Gadarenes. Excuse me. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had been so often bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When you look at the fact that there are some that knew he was harming himself, And they knew they couldn't do much with him. But they thought maybe we could bind him to keep him from hurting himself. Maybe we can shackle him so that he doesn't hurt himself. That's a real friend. Someone that shows up when you're at your absolute worst, when you're a mess, and they're still there. And despite their best efforts, they're not able to do anything with him but they care enough to try. You know, one of the hardest things is an intervention. I don't know if you've ever had to take part in one or if you've ever heard of someone having to be approached, but usually someone, there's an addict uh, struggling in their addiction and they're just on a path of self-destruction. It's truly one of the saddest things to see. I know I've told you this story before, but it's appropriate again, and not everybody's heard it, and you've probably forgotten it. But we were at a congregation several years ago, and there was a couple we had befriended. They had a a newborn, sweet little baby. And anyway, I noticed that after the sermon that the husband would get up and leave, and I wasn't used to him doing that, and so went over to his wife and, you know, hey, how's it going? You know, how's, and, you know, she told me, she said, he's using again. And I said, okay. I said, I'll tell you what. Let me help you carry this stuff out to the car. The baby in the carrier. I don't know what it is. How did women survive without all the stuff that we carry for a baby? You notice that? I mean, the old Indian women used to put, the, put them in this, the papoose, whatever, in the thing just to their chest and go about doing their business. We've got to have a sink and a, a buffet and all sorts of things. But anyway... Well, Stephen, you don't understand. I've had what Stephanie has had too. We carried some stuff, but my goodness. Anyway, my brain's going there. So I help her. I carry the, the diaper bag. She has the, the, 
the uh, car seat and we go out and I sit it in and I go around and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And he's like, hey, I'm doing great. And uh, talk a little bit and I say, hey, I've got a, I've got a question. <clears throat> I said, are, are you struggling with your addiction again? I don't think his wife thought I was going to ask that because her eyes got big as golf balls. And I was not going to betray her confidence. He got a little upset about it. And I said, I'm, I said look, yes, no. I said, look, I'm, I'm not, I just, if you need help, I just want to help. And, you know, it didn't really end the best of ways. And I'm like, okay, all right. I'm here. I'm here if you need me, if you want me. And I just want you to know that I love you. And so they left and it bothered me. So the next day I get up and I, I know where he works. So I said, I'm just going to go visit him at work. And so I go visit him at work and, you know, I just, hey, I just want to make sure you're okay. And, you know, he'd had the night to sleep on it. And he said, you know something, years ago when everybody knew that I was using, that I was a mess, nobody said anything to me. He said, and I got to thinking about it. And I said, you know, you really must care about me because you, you said something. I said, yeah. And he thanked me and I thought, I went better than what I thought it would. But you know, a friend, if you want to spot a fake friend, it's going to be somebody that never corrects you, somebody that never tries to help you be better or a better version of yourself. That's a fake friend. A real friend's going to tell you what you're not going to want to hear when you don't want to hear it, but they'll do it because they love you and they care for you that much. They're willing for you to hate them as long as they make that effort. So you've got the guy whose friends will take him to Jesus. No matter what, no obstacle gets in the way. Then you have the guy whose friends will do whatever they can when he's at his worst to keep him from wounding himself. So think about the folks that we have. And I just, by way of reminder, want you to be a good friend. You've got friends in your life that you care about. So I ask, have you ever talked to them about Jesus? And maybe you go, ah, you know, I just don't want to offend them. Well, if they're lost, are you content for a person to go to hell? There's a song, you never mentioned him to me. You know that song, don't you, Derek? Yeah. Um, I remember years ago, uh, there was a, a waitress that had passed away. I think it was in a car accident. And uh, Sue Williams, I go, to the, I go to the funeral down in Paris, Tennessee, and we're walking out of the funeral. And Sue Williams, who was the owner of the restaurant, she said to me, Stephen, the only thing that's running around my head is the song, You Never Mentioned Him to Me. I'd, she had no clue if that girl ever knew the Lord, if she'd ever obeyed the gospel or anything. And that really weighed on her because she never mentioned him to her. We have an opportunity in a few weeks, and hopefully, whoop, went too far. In a few weeks, we're going to have our Friends and Family Day. And everybody's welcome. Hope you'll invite a friend. And, you know, the, the, why does that keep going ahead? I did not do that. Well, we're going to go right there in a second. Anyway, uh, and I hope that you will, if you haven't already, invite your friends and family to come and you know, it's not only important to... 
didn't even touch it. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> wrap it up. Is that the wrap-up cue? So, so listen, a few people have been going, you know, it's a Super Bowl tonight. It'd be nice if you didn't preach as long. You're in luck. I'm not preaching. So talk to Derek about all the songs he's going to lead and sing tonight. What is happening? I don't know. Okay. Let me read you a quote and we'll look at this. Maybe we'll look at this last passage. George Eliot captured the essence of friendship beautifully when he wrote, Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them. Keep what is worth keeping, and then with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. I love the fact that Jesus considers us his friend. Greater love has none than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I hear from my Father, I've made them known to you. When I think of me and Jesus, I think of my Lord, my Creator, my God, my Savior. I don't think friend, because to me that seems too common, but Jesus considers himself our friends, and he laid down his life for us. And so I want you to know that if you've never obeyed the gospel, I want you to seriously consider it, and if you want to obey the gospel and become a Christian, we'll be more than glad to help you. If you have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you will confess that faith and you will repent of your sins, that is, turn away from them and turn to God, and if you'll be buried with Jesus in the grave of baptism, your sins will be washed away, you'll receive the Holy Spirit and you'll arise to walk in newness of life and then you become a friend of Christ's. So we offer you that invitation if you've never taken it before. And as we stand and sing... It's your opportunity. If you want to do that publicly, you can come to the front as we stand and sing.